Thank you for listening to the podcasts from Life Central Church. For more information or to visit one of our locations, go to lifecentralchurch.org.uk. It's just brilliant to be together. And we're going to move a step on in the series that Leon launched for us last week called Grown Up Prayers, which is built around the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And as Leon said, though we know it as the Lord's Prayer, and many of us learned it in school many years ago, in many ways it should actually be called the Follower's Prayer because it's the prayer that Jesus taught us. And I got thinking about the kind of prayers I learned when I was little. And um, mainly they were the prayers that you prayed at bedtime. Anybody else prayed a bedtime prayer? I thought about the, the bedtime prayer that I prayed. It was simple, but it was a little strange. It went something like this. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Even the prospect of school the next day was better than that. (laughs) But it was a simple prayer and maybe you learnt other prayers as your mum and dad or grandma and granddad tucked you up in bed or maybe you grew up in a home that wasn't a Christian home like mine and you thought, prayer lasting at night? No, it wasn't quite like that. But as Leon said last week, a lot of our praying can be a little selfish if we're not careful, can't it? It could be about us. And it could be about our family and our friends. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if we were to analyse our prayer, it can be something quite like that. And the Lord's Prayer is a grown-up prayer. It's a grown-up prayer because it's not just some religious mantra. And maybe that's how we learned it when we had to pray, when you did pray in schools a million years ago. But it's a prayer for those who wish to live the life that Jesus has called us to live. I found this quote by a guy called Frederick Morris who said this, that the Lord's Prayer may be committed to memory quickly, but it is slowly learned by heart. I think what he's saying is it's very easy to read it and quote it, but it's not so easy to live it, is it? And we started out that first part of the prayer in Matthew chapter 6 where last week Leon talked about Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. But then Jesus comes to this profound statement in verse 10. And you know it so well, I'm sure. And he simply reminded us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Important link, folks. The your is the important link because this is addressing to the Father, not to us. Jesus is saying, having said, Father in heaven, We say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And have this sense that it's a grown-up prayer because it connects us to something so much bigger than we are. It's a reminder to us of something that lives outside in many respects of what we see and touch and feel and hear. And I loved it last week when Leon was talking about heaven and we imagine heaven to be head for Jupiter, turn left to Jupiter when you get to Mars, do one circle off to Saturn and just beyond there is heaven. And I'm not sure that's the case. I remember being in Bible college many years ago and one of our lecturers in trying to expand our thinking said, a little bit took the story of the transfiguration, said what would it be like if we could somehow unzip the world that we're in and realise that all around us is a dimension 
that we completely don't understand and get. That maybe God's kingdom, maybe the kingdom that is heaven is something more than we imagine, more ethereal than we've understood. Not, it's a fourth dimension outside of those dimensions in which we live. But here Jesus teaches us to pray about God's kingdom. And we need to understand that when he teaches this, he is opening up a new way of seeing for those of us who are his followers. He's introducing us to a concept and an experience about God and who God is and how God works that is so unreal that it takes time for us sometimes to adjust in our understanding to get what the kingdom of God is. The psalmist in the Old Testament in Psalm 103 says this, that the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. So maybe it might help us to start in the first instance to think about the kingdom of God and maybe ask ourselves a little bit about what do we mean when we talk about the kingdom of God? Because we're not talking about a place or a locality. We're talking essentially about authority. The word that's used for kingdom in the scriptures is the Greek word basileia. And in many ways, it talks about a kingdom in terms of sovereignty and rule and authority. But it is most specifically used and was most specifically used in the first century in terms of the king and the authority that the king carries and the sovereignty that the king of a kingdom carries. And here when Jesus uses this word and when the Bible presents it to us, it's represented to us that the central feature of the kingdom of God is the king. He's the central character, the central thought, the central preoccupation when we think about the kingdom of God. Jesus is the king of the kingdom, folks. The kingdom of God stands and falls and circulates all around this remarkable, divine yet personhood of Jesus. Paul the Apostle tries to explain something of the significance of the rule and authority of Jesus in Colossians chapter 1 when he says this, that the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created, the things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. Without Jesus the King, there's no kingdom. He is the epitome of all that the kingdom of God means. His rule, his reign, his authority, which is characterised by justice and equity, equality, peace, love, mercy, kindness, goodness. This is the government of God. When we talk about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of which Jesus is the king, we're talking about qualities and characteristics that are part of how we define that government of God. And when Jesus shows up, he's telling us that the kingdom is, is near. And so when we start to talk about this kingdom of God and we pray, God, bring your kingdom, we're thinking of the injustice and the inequality and the imperfection and the impurity of all earthly kingdoms, all governments, all political structures and systems are, are unequal in some way. 
They're the best that people can do in the environment they're in. And we look across the world today and we see political turmoil and chaos. And it reminds us we need the kingdom of God to come on earth as it is in heaven. And so Jesus comes preaching the kingdom of God is near. He's not saying a place is coming, a locality is coming. He's saying that God's authority has arrived on the human scene. And this is what we see as Jesus is represented in the Gospels of Jesus walking and carrying that authority, but not, not with a dictatorial or demanding or punitive kind of way, but he comes with an authority that brings justice and equality and peace into broken environments and healing and wholeness. And so it's a grown-up thing. It's a spiritual grown-up thing when we pray and when we consider this prayer to look beyond our own needs and our own concerns to the big picture of what God wants to do in our world. And that is why I believe Jesus is teaching us to pray your kingdom come. The author Jim Wallace expresses it in this way when he says this, the kingdom of God, which Jesus came to inaugurate, is meant to create an alternate reality in this world and ultimately to transform the kingdoms of this world. Come, kingdom of God, in Ukraine today. Come, kingdom of God, in Sudan today. Come, kingdom of God, in Hales Owen, in Hagley, in Rowley, in Birmingham, in the West Midlands, in the UK, wherever we are from. And so we see that Jesus is teaching us to pray that God's rule, God's reign, characterised by equality and justice and truth and peace and grace and mercy and kindness, and we could go on and on and on, is what we're praying when we pray your kingdom come. But what about the kingdom of God in me? Because this isn't just a cosmic or a global prayer. It's a personal prayer. It's a grown-up prayer because we're praying that God would displace my kingdom with his kingdom. This is where it becomes a prayer of surrender. A prayer of recognising that the life we've been called to live is that we die so that he can live in us. The Apostle Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ and I don't live anymore. Christ lives in me. The life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. But I love how John the Baptist simplifies it for us in John chapter 3 when he says, he must become greater and I must become less. And therein lies the challenge for you and for me, certainly, in what it means to be a true follower of Jesus to actually come to that place where in our own walk with God, we can learn what it is to say over to you, Jesus. What do you want? What's your heart? What's your desire? Because when you think about it, your kingdom and my kingdom is a place where I've arranged everything to suit my plans. Do you recognise that? And my purposes. I've coordinated everything that works to my advantage. It's an environment exactly arranged how I like it with what I want to do. And I think that's at the cusp of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, this life of surrender, this understanding that we are not our own any longer. Paul writes to the Corinthians, says, you're not your own, you were bought with a price. Therefore, honour God 
because he's taken lordship of our lives. I'm moved every time when I think about how Jesus modelled this for us when he prayed. He comes to the Garden of Gethsemane on the eve of his crucifixion. And he knows what's ahead of him. And he would ordinarily, just like you or I, not choose to walk that way. But when we read in Luke chapter 22, we find these words. On reaching the place, he said to them, that's three of the disciples. Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them. Knelt down and prayed, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Is there any better example? As Jesus faces the prospect of the cross and death by Roman crucifixion so that you and I could know the Father. He says, your will, your kingdom, not mine, the ultimate prayer of surrender. I suppose praying this prayer, folks, reminds us that we are now citizens of a new kingdom. You know, the kingdom of God is somewhere where we are not defined by our passport. We're defined by our citizenship in God's kingdom. What's wonderful when you look at the Christian church today, spread across every continent of the world, where it's believed that over half of the world's population today declare that they're followers of Jesus Christ, of every colour, of every nationality, of every identity, of every kind of persuasion. People who say, I follow Jesus, that's what defines who you and I are. Now, I don't mind being proud to be British in the right sense of it, but my citizenship, my identity is found in the fact I'm his child and I'm a citizen of his kingdom. And I live willingly under his lordship and his reign in my life. Why? Because there is no other kingdom where justice and truth, where goodness and holiness and righteousness and mercy and kindness is prevalent as it is in the kingdom of God, under God's rule and God's leadership. And again, similarly in Colossians chapter 1, Paul reminds us that he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us, no transfer fee, transferred us into the kingdom of his son, although it probably was a pretty high transfer fee and you think about it, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. From the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. That's what God has done in establishing his kingdom in us. And Jesus comes saying, the kingdom of God is within you. Folks, if you're asking what does the kingdom look like, it's God's rule and God's reign in your life and my life. It's how I acknowledge and accept that God is working in me. And that's what um, author Albert Schweitzer said. I think I got his name right when he said this, there can be no kingdom of God in the world without the kingdom of God in our hearts. Jesus came preaching a religion of the heart. When he stands before Pilate and he's accused of all kinds of things he didn't do. And Pilate says to him, apparently you've declared yourself a king. Jesus says this, my kingdom is not of this world. Otherwise, my followers would take up arms and fight. No, Jesus comes preaching a kingdom that is part of the heart, a religion of the heart. Father, may your kingdom come in me. May your will be done in me. Is that your prayer today? 
You may not feel you're in a great place with God. Don't worry, we all have those days more often than most of us would like to confess. Those days where we'd say, I don't really feel that me and God are particularly connected and that may be the kind of day you're having, the kind of week you're having. Hey, don't worry about that. Join the club. It's a pretty big one. It involves all of us here who say we're followers of Jesus. What matters is that we can at any moment say, Father, your kingdom come in me, in my life. Because it's not just this cosmic prayer that God would touch the world, though it is that. It's God, would you come and touch my life? I don't know if there's anybody else here today watching online in one of our locations who would say, I want more of God's kingdom in my life today. I want more of the rule and reign of Jesus. I know there are parts of my life that I need the reign of Jesus far more. There are choices I make sometimes with no consultation with the king. And I love the picture in the book of Esther, how she gets access to the king, the great king of his day. Do you know what? God has given you access to the king every second of your life. You can step into the presence of the king of kings and say to him, I need you today. Sat at my breakfast table this morning, eating my porridge, ready for a big day. Say, Father, I need you. Done this so many times. Hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of times, stood in front of people, but I need you, King Jesus, today. Folks, every day that I live, I need the King to bring his kingdom, his truth, where I am misunderstand even myself, his justice, where I feel I've been hard done by by other people, his mercy, where I felt let down, I've let him down, his grace, where I know I've sinned. King Jesus ruling in my heart, and I'm sure you would want that too. And there's so much that we are concerned about in life, and it's not inappropriate that we would have cares and concerns and things that worry us and press in on us. But in the same chapter, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus talks, and I was thinking about it. We've, I've got a bird table in the... Well, I can't if it's grandiose to call it a bird table. It's from home bargains, really, to be honest with you. It's a thing that hangs stuff on, you know, but some pigeons in the garden. And, you know, Jesus says in this passage, the birds don't worry about what they're going to eat. You get worried about so many things. Don't don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's got enough concerns itself, but do this. In Matthew chapter 6, 33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Friends, whatever concerns you, when you come to prayer, if you're like me, you come to prayer and you really want to pray a good prayer, but all you can think about is the worries and the concerns and what's on that day. And you really want to just worship Jesus and put that to one side. Hey, he's got you. He's got you in almighty hands. So seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and trust him that everything else will be added to you as well. But what about the kingdom of God through me? Because I think this probably is the most grown-up part of this prayer. Because Jesus teaches us a context for the longing of God's kingdom to come. Not that it would come and just be kind of something quite mystical. He says that we should pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And it's a profound statement because we really don't know what heaven's like. We have glimpses into that eternal kingdom, 
But what we do know from the glimpses, even if we don't know what materially heaven looks like, is that the king is reigning and he's ruling with justice and truth and kindness and mercy. But what we're saying is, as we ask for your kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven, we're surrendering our plans, our preferences, our priorities, and we're asking that God's kingdom would come. His plans, his preferences, his priorities. Heaven on earth? Is that really possible? Can that happen? Can we imagine a situation where somehow heaven breaks out on earth? Do we know what that would really look like? I want to suggest to you today that heaven is happening on earth all around us. Where God's people, kingdom people, are allowing themselves to be governed by his priorities and his values and his heart then the kingdom of God can break into the injustice and the pain and the inequality and the grief in our world. Do you know, all across the globe today, God's people, kingdom people, are not just praying, your kingdom come, they're feeding the hungry, they're befriending the lonely, they're clothing the naked, they're housing the homeless, they're comforting the bereaved, they're giving hope to those who are despairing. They're loving those who are marginalised. They're freeing the captives and they're sharing good news with the lost. That's the kingdom of God on earth. When you and I engage in the things that bring the kingdom into people's lives. When we love those that others don't love. When we care about our world and our society, all the things that we do as a church and more than many other churches do, that's the work of the kingdom. That's when the kingdom isn't just in me, I'm living the kingdom through me. Because God is wanting to change his world and he's going to be doing it one person at a time. And I wonder whether today you're willing to be one of those people. The Christian writer Cornel West said something really beautiful. He said that if the kingdom of God is in you, you should leave a little bit of heaven wherever you go. God wants to change our world. He wants us to engage in prayer with this desire that we would say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And maybe you and I could be part of that process in bringing change to somebody else. In bringing a message of hope and transformation. Because all across this room and all across our sites and people watching online and some are watching on catch up, we all have stories of the kingdom breaking in in our lives. I could tell you stories, not just back when as a little nine-year-old boy I gave my life to Jesus, but moments where I didn't know how we were going to get through some situations and then I realised we have a king who's greater than everything, who's above everything. But I think that this prayer teaches us that the degree to which we are willing to surrender determines the degree to which we experience God. If you're watching in online today or here in one of our locations and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, then you never can really understand what it's like to live under the loving leadership of King Jesus. He's been so kind to me, so merciful and gracious, so compassionate, 
so honest, so strong. But that's the place we find ourselves. I came across an ancient prayer. Leon had an ancient prayer last week, so I thought, let's do an ancient prayer this week. It was a prayer prayed by a guy called Ignatius of Loyola. He was a 16th century Spanish priest who ended up being canonised. That means he was made a saint by the Catholic Church, usually many years after, after he died. But he prayed this amazing prayer. And I'm going to invite you to pray it along with me. We, are, we as kind of Pentecostal spirit people, we tend not to do a lot of red prayers like this. But I think it's sometimes a good thing. So I want to invite you to pray this prayer of surrender with me. Why don't you lift your voice? Let's do it together. Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will. All I have and call my own. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace, that is enough for me. What a profound statement, that is enough for me. Is King Jesus enough for you? If we lost everything else, but had him, wouldn't we have everything we needed? Most of us will never experience that. And that's because of the kindness of God to us that he wouldn't leave us without and he wouldn't deprive us of anything that we genuinely need. And so it's hard in our Western culture, so commercialised, so involved in the pursuit of many, many things, that we would consider what it is to say, Lord, I surrender everything to you. But that's what Jesus did when he hung on a cross as our great example. Every time I'm invited to speak, it's a privilege and um, like all the other team, the, the girls and the guys that, that lead us on these times, we're, we're given the opportunity to choose a response song. And there's a song that is the song that echoes in about my life. The church that I led had the joy of leading for many, many years in, in Birmingham. It was one of our go-tos. When Andy heard it, he thought it was a new song. He's a youngster. It's not that old. It's called Eagle's Wings and it simply says, Lord, come live in me all my life, take over. And as you live in me, I'll rise on eagle's wings. And it's my prayer today as I stand in front of you, not the perfection of everything I've said by any stretch of the imagination, but my heart is saying, God, would you bring your kingdom in me afresh today? I want to say to you, if you've never surrendered to Jesus, we'd love to talk to you. Before we finish, Andy will probably tell you what you can do in terms of the next steps that you can take. But, but just this moment, we're going to pray. And then the team are going to lead us. And we're going to stand and we're going to sing this together. Some of you will know it so well. For some of you, it's a newbie, but you're going to love it. It's a simple song, but this is our prayer today. Father, come live in me. All my life take over. Would anybody else want to join me in that prayer? If you do, why don't you stand all across where we are? Would you stand in our locations? If you're saying today, Lord, I want your kingdom 
to come in my life so that as you come and you rule and you reign in me, you'll be ruling and reigning through me, touching other people. Father, thank you that the God of all creation makes it possible that we could encounter you today. That we could even pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That we could even ask for you to come in our hearts and lives all the more. But that's our prayer today. And as we use this song, Father, I pray right across this venue, in our locations, for those who are watching us online, I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that your kingdom would come afresh and we'd feel and know the presence of King Jesus in our hearts and in our lives all the more. We ask that in his amazing name. Amen.